Take your Bibles and turn to John 17. John 17. Actually, let's read the verse right above that to get in a little bit of the context here. John 16, verse 33. The Bible says, These things have I spoken unto you, Jesus speaking, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. These words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son also may glorify Thee. Here we see Jesus in prayer and giving us an example of prayer. And uh, But first I want us to notice that in His prayer, it's a prayer uh, praying in victory. Although there's tribulation in the world, although there's problems in the world, uh, we can truly pray in victory. Yeah, there's, there's issues. Yeah, there's things that we face. But the verdict is already in that Jesus Christ has overcome the world. He has all, all, already overcome evil in the sense of we know when it will be finished. And there is an end to it. Uh, Jesus Christ is victorious. Yes, we're still left in the world. Yes, we still see the effects of evil around us. And think, Look at verse 15 of John 17. He says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. Isn't it interesting? Sometimes we're like, Lord, just... Get me out of this, you know, just get me out of this mess. Just why is it that I have to deal with uh, evil around me? Why is it that I have to deal with these problems around me? Uh, Sometimes the Lord has a reason, He has a purpose that He's left us here, right? He has that purpose. But we see Jesus here looking up to heaven in His prayer. You say, "Is is there importance to that? I don't think that there is an importance to the posture of our body in prayer as much as there is to the posture of our heart in prayer. That we realize what we're doing. Hey, we're talking to God. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name, right? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. I mean, the posture of the heart here is really clear in Luke Luke 18 where you have the, the publican and the, and the uh, Pharisee. And at the end of that, they both go down to the temple to pray. Of course, the, the Pharisee's praying with himself. But then you see the publican in verse 13 of Luke 18 where he says, And the publican standeth afar off and would not lift up so much as his eyes. Different posture, right? Uh, his, his eyes amen. are down. He wouldn't look up, lift up so much of his eyes to heaven and smote upon his breast, saying, God, <laughs> Be merciful to me, a sinner. Right, amen. And he says, I tell you, this man uh, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The, the most important part of, of our, the position or the posture of our prayer is the posture of our heart, that it's in humility. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 2, the Bible says, be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. 
In other words, when we're talking to God, we truly believe that He hears us. There should be a humbling, a humility of our heart as we talk to the Lord. But we begin to see here in John chapter 17 this prayer, this prayer of intercession. We begin to see here Jesus Christ fulfilling His office as our high priest. And He begins to pray for us. That's humbling. You say, He prayed for me? He prayed for us. Look at verse 20 of John 17. This is the introduction. I'm getting into it here. John 17, verse 20. The Bible says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on Me through their word. And so we see here in this chapter that Jesus Christ making intercession praying for us that shall believe. You know, many religions out there will say that Jesus was a prophet. And that's it. Just a prophet. The truth is, is He was a prophet. He was the greatest prophet. Right. And He was killed like many of the other prophets, mar- uh, crucified. Um, but He is more than just a prophet. He's also a priest. He's also our King. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. The Bible says He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the Almighty God. I mentioned uh, talking about the uh, Millennial Kingdom. I was teaching on Sunday night. I mentioned this trilogy in Psalms. It's interesting. Take time maybe to study it out yourself. But in Psalms chapter 22... You see David prophesying about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And he even brings details out that actually happened on Jesus Christ on the cross. And you see in Psalms uh, 22 as Jesus, the good shepherd, giving his life for the sheep. Then you see in Psalms 23, Jesus, the great shepherd, leading the sheep. That's... Jesus Christ's work today as our high priest. He is leading us. Uh, Even though we may be right in the presence of our enemies, He is our intercessor right now. Jesus Christ is acting as our high priest. And then Psalms 24, it shows Jesus Christ as the chief shepherd, uh, the coming king of glory, strong and mighty in battle, who will come and rule and reign upon the earth for a thousand years. Right now, at this very moment in time, Jesus Christ is fulfilling for you and I the office of the high priest. The Old Testament, God set up the priesthood, right? Beginning with Aaron... He would set up the high priest who would make a sacrifice first for himself and then for the sins of the people. Once a year, the high priest would go and enter into the most holy place and and he would make atonement again for himself and then for the whole congregation. Jesus Christ, being our high priest, made our sacrifice for sin. He made atonement for us once through His blood on Calvary. We understand the doctrine that there is no divine forgiveness without atonement, without (coughs) sacrifice, right? 
When you think of atonement, that word atonement means to come to an agreement, reconciliation after controversy. One way to look at it is to be at at one-ment. To be made right with God. That's what it means to be righteous. Jesus Christ, our atonement, at one-ment, brings us back into fellowship with God after the sin had separated us from it. That's what Jesus Christ does for us as our high priest. In Hebrews chapter, Hebrews talks all about this, but in Hebrews uh, chapter 9, verse 11 and 12, it says, but Christ being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. That's, that's really what the book of Hebrews is about, is we have a better redemption, a better high priest, a better tabernacle, a better sacrifice, a better... All these sort of things. Jesus Christ is our high priest. And let me say, He is a better high priest than there's ever been. He had the best. He says in verse 14 of that chapter, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Romans 8 verse 34 says, Who He hath... who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. Isn't that interesting to think that Jesus Christ and His ministry here on earth and what He fulfilled and how He made atonement for us and His blood sacrifice, but now at this very moment, at this very moment, Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. He says that again in Hebrews 7 verse 25. He says, Wherefore He is able also to save them from the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. So we see Jesus Christ here as our high priest praying this prayer in John 17 of intercession for us. Read with me these first five verses. He says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Thy Son and Thy Son also, that Thy Son also may glorify Thee. As Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him and this is life eternal that they may know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent I have glorified thee on earth I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do and now O Father glorify thou me with thine own self with glory which I had with thee before the world was. 
I don't know if it jumped out to you, but how many times he used the word glory in those first those five verses? Glorify, glorify, uh, the glory. Uh, when we think of glory, you got to think of God. I mean, He is glory. Jesus Christ is the glory of God, manifest in the flesh. In Romans 8, verse 18, the Bible says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And so is Jesus Christ, the high priest, the one that made atonement for us. He, he has given us, as he said here, eternal life. And there is a glory that is in us that is going to be revealed through us and in us uh, through his spirit. He's given us, if you're born again, you have the spirit of God, which is the earnest of our inheritance. And you may say, I don't feel, I don't feel glorious right now. I don't feel glorious right now. But the fact of the matter is, is there is a glory in you that will be revealed. Listen to me. Unconditionally. If you've been born again, this is not, this is not, this is unconditional. He's going to finish a work. We'll read this verse in a second. It doesn't matter how you feel. It's what the Bible says. One day you will be glorified. One day, if you've been saved, you will have a glorified body. It's, it's a done deal. He promised it. He's going to do it. Philippians 1.6. He says this, Being confident. Now there's a lot of things the Bible tells us that we're not to be confident in like ourselves and our own flesh and you know a lot of things not to be confident in. But he says, be confident in this very thing. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, he started a work in us at salvation and he will finish it. He will finish it. I don't know if that just does something for you or not. That does not depend on how good of a person you are. That doesn't depend on how many good works or bad works you did this week. I'm telling you, if you are born again and you are saved, there is, there is a glory that will be revealed in you. Uh, he is going to finish that work. Uh, at the day of Jesus Christ, whether that's at the rapture of the church or we take our last breath, there is a glory in you that God has given you. That is a promise. You can be confident of that. You say, I don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but I know then it's going to be good. You will. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, the Bible says this, Beloved, I like this, just in case you forget, now are we the sons of God. Right now. John says to the other believers, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not appear what we shall be. He says, you can't even imagine, I can't even imagine what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. That's the glory. That's the glory. Did you see that in that verse where He said that, that they may have eternal life, that they know, may know you and know me? Boy, I'll tell you, the glory that shall be revealed is going to be that we know God. We know Christ. When we see Him, we're going to know Him, uh, who He is, 
No one's listening to me. One day we're going to enter into heaven, whether it's through the rapture or we go. And I'm telling you, nobody's going to have to introduce you to Jesus Christ. You're going to know who He is the moment you lay your eyes on Him. He is your Father. When you walk in, you're going to say, Oh my God. And begin to worship Him. And nobody's going to have to say, That's Him over there. Nobody's going to have to do that. You're going to know Him. Immortal. Sinless. Sinless. Not even tempted by sin. To think of us coming back and ruling, yeah, us coming back and ruling and reigning with the Lord in the millennium and being here on earth and not even tempted by sin. That's the glory that will be revealed in us. We'll be like Him, immortal. It's not happening now. Somebody that thinks they're sinless now or can be sinless now, boy, I'll tell you, they've won up the Apostle Paul because he struggled. He struggled with the old man. But one day, we won't struggle anymore. One day, that glory... The Bible says this, that we've all come short of the glory of God, right? Why is that? Because we all have sinned. That is the glory of God. That He is sinless. He's holy. He has has triumphed over evil. I know that sounds small, but that's a big deal. That is a big deal. He has triumphed over death and sin and Satan. Our God is victorious. And when we pray, we can pray in that victory in the middle of trouble, in the middle of temptation, in the middle of all the things. We know ultimately we will be glorified. We know ultimately He will be glorified. He is glorified. And ultimately He has triumphed over sin and evil. This is, you say, you know what? We as Christians, we should be enthusiastic about the glory that is in us. Enthusiastic. You know what that word means? That comes from a a Greek word, and and, and theos, the root of it, means God. And in, in, so it literally means God within us. The most enthusiastic people, realistically, are, are the people that have God in them. And every now and again, because even in our sinful bodies, we have the Spirit of God in us, every now and again, you'll get a little glimpse of glory. Every now and again, sometimes, I mean just in in Bible reading and prayer and church, every now and again, you'll get a little glimpse of what will be, what can be. Every now and again, we'll get a little glimpse of heaven and a little glimpse of eternity. Every now and again, just enough to help us out. That, that God in us, we can re- recognize, my goodness, this earth is Man, not a, this world is not a, there is more to come. I mean, that's good news. The glory that shall be revealed in us. Romans 8.30, the Bible says this, Moreover, whom He predestined, He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. I've talked about that word many times, just as if I never sinned. And whom He, listen to this, and whom He justified, them He also glorified. To think that God would glorify us. Why? Because He justified us. Listen, there is, I don't have to convince anybody in here 
that they are a sinner. I know that. If you if you need convinced, you need somebody else to help you with that because you're a sinner, okay? But God doesn't see you that way. If you've been born again, if you've been saved, He sees you as justified and He sees you as, as good as glorified. I mean, ju- judicially, the judge has said, justified, therefore glorified. Next case. You're in. Yeah, Thank you. you say there's some time that needs to go through before that happens, but he he has already declared it. You got that stamp, that seal, the seal of the Holy Spirit already on your life. I like this stuff. I I I, I preached I, I, I preached a message one time called justified, sanctified, and glorified. If people, if you're one of those people that like to know the process. That's the process, okay? That's the process in your life, in your Christian life. First, you're justified, saved, born again. That that justification happens the moment that you receive Jesus' atonement. Salvation, justified. Then there's another process, though, that's called sanctified or sanctification. That's the process that goes from the justification point to the glorification point. That's everything in the middle. God is setting us apart for his service, right? The glorified part we've already talked about, that's when we're sinless, immortal, and with God. But now, we're in the sanctification process. That's what Jesus is praying about here. Let me ask you a little question. Do you need prayer about your sanctification process? We need prayer. That's why we pray. You say, why are we why are we people of prayer? Because we're in the middle of the sanctification process. This is how we stay in contact with the Father. This is how we stay in contact with Jesus Christ, our high priest. So from the time of justification to the time of glorification, you're in the sanctification process. We should be people of prayer. And Jesus shows us that. And not just shows us that, but he prays for us about our sanctification. Look with me here in verse 17. John 17, 17. He says, Sanctify them through thy truth, Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. Listen to me. You say, why am I still stuck here in this world, in this body, in this flesh? He sent you here. He knows where you're at. You're here for a reason. We're here for a reason. For, and he says in that, in verse 19, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be, what? Sanctified through the Spirit. Did he just he just showed us the two ways that we're sanctified, right? Through truth, that word is truth, the word of God, and the Spirit of God. You say, How am I gonna be set apart for God's service? How is my mind gonna be transformed, renewed? The word of God through the Spirit of God. Is there a shortcut to that? No. The Word of God, the Spirit of God. The Word of God, the Spirit of God. This is how we are <coughs> sanctified. There's no shortcut to this. God's process in our life. He's setting us apart for our purpose and our plan. It's obvious that the tribulations, the troubles, the problems that we go through are working on us in a sanctification process, just like sandpaper. Roughs off the rough edges. And sometimes this trouble, this anxiety, our prayers are constantly saying... God, remove this from me. God, remove this. I was joking around with someone the other day. Uh, we were, and, and, and he said, yeah, we pray prayers like this. God, give me patience right now. You know? 
God's saying, I am giving you patience, but there's a what? Process to it. And sometimes the trouble, the tribulations, they, they work in our life. Why? For our own good. For the sanctification process. Are we willing to surrender ourselves to it? Just about the time you think that you have victory over something. Right? Like, you know, boy, God's really helped me with my anger issue, you know? And then all of a sudden, you know, that may go for a while, and then somebody will just set you off, right? And you're like, wow, wow, where did that come from? God says, all right, there's still some rough edges. i just got to turn you over now and work over here, right? God's working on us. He say, just take me out of the world. God says, no, I'm leaving you here for your own good and for the good of the world so that you can be a light, right? That's the process. This is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our life is to sanctify the believer. You say, what's the will of God in my life? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And then he goes on to... Uh, explain what that means. He says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. In other words, the way we live our life, the way what we do with our bodies and our mouths and our eyes and our ears is part of the sanctification process. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved to do good works. So God is working in us, maturing us to be more like Christ. Listen. I never want to come across preaching that we need to do a bunch of, you know, religious uh, things, religious activities. I don't want to come across that way. But I am convinced after studying this in John and in my own life that if we are not in the Word and in prayer, then we are not going to be grown. Let me say it a different way. We're here on earth. God's in heaven. His Spirit's with us. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. But if we're, not, if we're not walking in the Spirit, in prayer, and in His Word, we're dead in the water. We've lost communication with the Father. And if the communication is broken, we're in trouble. You know? The, without me, you can do nothing. So, maybe the thing that I want to and this isn't just religious things. You've got to check a box. No, we, we go to the Lord in prayer because we're, we're talking to our high priest. We're talking to our Father. We're talking to our Savior. We go to the Word in prayer. Why? Because we need fed. We need washed. We need clean. There's no shortcuts to it. This is the work that He does with us. We have to take His Word. We have to re- receive it. We have to believe it. The Bible says this. That we're not just to be hearers of the word, but doers only. Obviously, hearing the word is the first step. You obviously have to hear it, right? But you don't leave it there. You hear it, and then you do something with it. He says, faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we have to put it into practice. Evidence of our believing the word is our obeying the word. Unity. The love that we have for other believers is evidence of our hearing the word and doing it. Look at 
look at what the Lord says. John 17, verse 21. 17, 21. He says, That they may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I give I have given them that they may be what? One, even as we are one. I and them and thou and me that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. You know what we say as Christians, I've heard this, I myself, is we want to be in unity with other Christians. We say that. We want to be in unity with other Christians. But what what, what do we add to that? So we're just waiting for them to change. <laughs> then we can be in unity. I mean, I really want to be in unity with all the other believers. And as soon as they become like me, and they think like me, and know everything that I know, then we can be in perfect unity. That's not how it works. Listen, our unity is not based upon us or them. It is based upon the atonement of Jesus Christ. Our unity is based upon Him putting them into the body and us into the body, and then we just figure out how it is that we are supposed to serve and live and edify the body. He says, listen, I want you to be in unity, and by you being in unity, I am glorified. Listen, to think that Jesus Christ would associate Himself to be one with us, there is a far greater gap between Christ and us and what we don't do right and what we don't know. I mean, we don't even know what we don't know when we start thinking about it. And so the gap between us and Christ, and he has said he's in unity with us, between us and any other Christian in the world, the, the gap is farther between us and Christ. So we can swallow our pride and love our brother. That doesn't mean we have to serve with them arm in arm, but it means that we can lay down our sword and love them. I've got a lot of verses for this. In John 13, John 15, he said, by this all men will know that I'm, you're my disciples. I, here's what I believe. I want our church to grow. I believe our church is going to grow. I believe it. I believe it. And I think that if we will love each other in unity, that God will grow the church that God will add to the church. It will be a great place for people to come and get help and see God and not see us. Right? If we will be in unity. But it takes humility to be in unity because we're all different. We all do different things and say different things and all that sort of stuff. It just takes humility. He says you can't hate your brother be condescending, arrogant. That dishonors God. He gives us here in John this clear example of power and privilege of prayer. So will we follow the Lord in this prayer of intercession? Let me ask you something. When we're talking about unity, if you see a believer, a Christian, not, not just here, Christians in general, believers in general. And, and maybe they are being overtaken in a fault. Maybe they are being uh, overtaken in sin. Maybe they are being led astray in somewhat a false doctrine. Okay? What is the right thing to do? Is the right thing to talk about them to other Christians? 
or is the right thing, if you really care and it really bothers you, the right thing to do is intercede for them to God. If you really love them, you'll, 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 you won't talk about them to everybody else. You'll talk about them to the Lord. Say, Lord, I love my brothers. I love my sisters. I feel like this is serious in their life. Lord, help them. Lord, Lord, deliver them. Keep them from evil, just like Jesus prayed for us. He said, keep them from evil, didn't he? That's what he said. Yeah, put them in the world, but keep them from evil. This is to show the unity. Listen, Lord, I'm going to intercede for my brother, not cut him down, not cut him up, or not, you know, throw him to the side. I'm going to pray for him. That's it. Talk to the Lord for them. E.M. Bounds, he was an attorney, an, Amer- an American attorney and a Methodist pastor who wrote a lot about prayer. E.M. Bounds said this, talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. Pray for people. This is the example that the Lord's given us. For the church, pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Those that may be fallen, those that may be down and out, pray for them, intercede for them. Satan, he's real. He'll try and he'll try and get people to fall into sin. He'll try and get people led astray into false doctrine, these sort of things. Pray for them. Pray for each other. Commit, commit that we won't listen. I think it would be a good testimony to the world if we as Christians committed right now and says, you know what, if God saved that individual, if they're a brother or sister in Christ, or help me keep my tongue from talking bad about it. Just that. Lord, help me keep my tongue from talking bad about it. This is hard. We've got to learn this because it's easy to talk bad about somebody. But if you're really concerned, like I said, pray for them. And not just pray for them, but pray for the lost. Intercede for the lost. Have the heart of Abraham who went to God to intercede on behalf of Lot and Sodom. Read that story how Abraham, the intercessor, went before him and said, Lord, don't do it. You know, have mercy on him. He went and prayed for him. How about Job, who, who would intercede for his kids just in case they had done wrong? How about Job? Listen to this one. This is a hard one. How about Job, at the, at the end of the book of Job, who interceded for his friends who had done him wrong? They had done him wrong, and they had the wrong idea of God. I mean, they were just wrong. Job's friends were wrong. And you know what Job did at the end of the book of Job? He prayed for them, and God blessed them. He interceded for his friends. That's the heart that we can have as Christians, to intercede. Andrew Murray, he was a Scotsman who did tons of missions work in Africa. He said this, Faith in a prayer-hearing God will make prayer-loving Christians. If we truly believe that God hears our prayers, we'll pray. Right? Wouldn't we? Because God can do anything. Why worry? Pray. Right? I heard someone say the other day, hopefully I can get this right, courage is fear that says prayers. Courage is fear that says prayers. Right. And so why worry? Why go through all this stuff that we go through? Just take it to the Lord in prayer. 
for our behalf. Listen, as we mature as Christians, I believe we'll move from self-centered prayers and don't... Lord wants us to pray about our own needs, but we'll move more from self-centered prayers about all our prayers being about us and our lives to a little more of the intercessory prayers where we start praying for other people and praying for the lost. This prayer works. We have to be a church that's sanctified by truth, propelled by the power of prayer. We have to be a church and believers that's sanctified by truth and propelled by the power of prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful that you are a high priest. That gives us so much hope. We do not have to worry one bit about our eternity if we've been saved and born again. God, help us to be sanctified, set apart for your service. Help us to be people of prayer. Help us to be in your word, being sanctified. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts, in our church, that we would be in unity with each other, the Christians that you've put us around, the, the uh, believers that we know in our life that need prayer. Lord, help us not to cut them down, destroy them, talk about them, but pray for them. God, that's all. Help us to pray for our lost family members and friends, Lord, that we could see people come to know you as their Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.